This is The Secret Life of Writers, a new interview series with some of the world's most interesting and visionary writers and creative icons. My name is Gemma Birrell, and these rambling conversations are with people I personally find fascinating and whose work I love. We'll chat about how they do what they do and somehow manage to balance life and art. And we'll also hear about what they're working on now. Today, I'm speaking with Alison Bell. Alison is the co-creator, co-writer, producer and star of the award-winning ABC and Netflix series The Letdown. It explores the early years of motherhood in a way that's honest and moving as well as very funny. There's the mother's group, the sleep training, the non-existent sex life and much more. And it made me cry with laughter at times. Like the best writing, there's something universal in which we can recognise our own experience. Alison and her co-writer Sarah Scheller won an Actor Award for Best Television Screenplay and for Best Comedy Program for both seasons one and two. And Alison herself won the Actor Award for Best Comedy Performer for season two. Before the letdown, Alison performed in various stage productions and television shows. You might have seen her in the series Laid, The Leftovers, No Activity and Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories. Alison's also worked as a script editor and screenwriter for production companies such as Revolver and Madman. Alison, hello. Thank you for speaking with us today. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, my goodness. Now, you're in lockdown in Melbourne, aren't you? How have you been coping? Um, look, we're fine. I feel like I'm in a weird apocalypse film. We get an hour outside the house a day. <laughs> it's quite intense. And you can't even smile at a passerby. You know, we're so isolated because we're behind our our masks. I did try to say hello to an old man who lives down the road that I don't know, but I see him occasionally. And it just came out as a humiliating sort of muffled <laughs> God knows what. That's pointless. I can't even greet someone. But no, we're totally fine. And I just feel for people who aren't set up, who don't have the, a level of a security during this time, because it's pretty awful out there. And work. I mean, I'm lucky. I'm a writer. I can do it from anywhere. I've weirdly had an extremely hectic time during the pandemic. And certainly homeschooling has been <laughs> an adventure. Uh, largely the burden has been left to my partner, Johnny, and I'm very grateful that I have him here at home taking care of most of that. I'm sort of the relief teacher, I think, in that dynamic because I've had all these scripts to write and I've been on deadlines. So he's done the bulk of it, but having a little six-year-old running in and out of my bedroom slash office and trying to mediate some of their tenser moments uh, <laughs> has made for an interesting uh, environment in which to write comedy. I don't know how you do it because it's hard to actually keep the door closed at any one time, let alone have that focus when you're at home to work on a script, I can imagine. It's challenging, but I have had a very unusual writing career. It's never been a sort of office silence kind of little pod of creativity <laughs> like sort of <laughs> sanctuary kind of experience it's always been that I have had little tastes of that but it's always been mitigated by uh, you know baby and we started working on this with the ABC when Augie was just born so I've always had a newborn or a little person interrupting my work and most of my work has been done in the home space and so it has been scheduled around naps and around childcare and around, you know, I'm quite used to having those little disruptions in my life while I'm writing. That was the first series that you literally were pregnant with Augie or you had just had him? Yeah, I, I just had him. So and actually, when we shot the first series, he would have been two and a half, maybe by then. But certainly for the pilot, when we started developing the pilot with the ABC, we'd been working on it for a little while before that. But when we started working with the ABC, uh, I think I got the phone call, the yes phone call, about a month out from when I was due. And it was, <laughs> there were mixed emotions, to be honest, Gemma. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was elated, um, but at the same time in a bit of a panic going, you know, how am I going to juggle giving birth to my first child and writing this series? And how long had you been working on it before then? You and Sarah, how long had you been working on the scripts? Intermittently for about 18 months, two years, I reckon, probably 18 months. Um, 
And I like to joke, and forgive me for this appalling joke, that I'm I'm very dedicated to my craft and a method actress, so I fell pregnant during that time. But uh, it really did help, you know, as much as it heightened the pressure and the stress and the, um, I probably cried a few more tears than your average writer uh, during that period. <laughs> <laughs> with the addition of wild hormones. Um, but I was in the centre of it. I was in the centre of the experience as I was writing about it. I think that helped me quite a lot as both writer and actor. I love, though, that when you were actually writing the pilot, is that the period where you hadn't actually had your bub at that point? Yes, yes. That's hugely insightful. Yeah, well, actually, Sarah has two kids and she'd had her two babies by that point when we started. And I was very much looking at my sister who had two kids at that point as well. And that was the impetus for me to write about motherhood because I was I'm very close to her and I was watching her go through this thing, this, <laughs> this cataclysmic event times two. And I'd never seen anything even close to what she was going through depicted on screen. So I had this real kind of bee in my bonnet about representations of women on screen and fueled a lot by my sister's experiences. And I was very much the observer and the researcher during that first phase of writing. And to be honest, I think I, I, think I found everything funnier then. <laughs> and once I'd had my own child, then it was more about the drama. Like I felt like I, what I contributed when we started developing with the ABC was a lot more about the, I guess, the loneliness and the darkness that I was experiencing inside it. Because it's easy to make jokes about hemorrhoids and stuff, you know, when you're not living with that. You can see the funny from the outside. But when you're inside it, to find jokes inside the desperation and the identity crisis, that's when I kind of joined Sarah on that level and I think it really helped our work that both of us had lived it. Well, that is what is so incredibly powerful about the show, the fact that there is that darkness and the light and the incredibly kind of painful, difficult things that we can relate to, but also the humour. It's a really unusual combination, which is part of the reason the show is so powerful, I think. And I love that you both found that together, you know, that truth in a way. Yeah, that tone was very much born of our dynamic I think Sarah and I have, you know, and I was just on a, on a call with her this morning about another project. We have this way, and we both shared certain traumas with each other, but we have this need to make each other laugh at our traumas. <laughs> I don't know. It's just the way we communicate. So I will, you know, she'll tell me some horror that's happening over there and we'll have a big laugh because she'll say it in a funny way and then I'll do likewise to make her laugh. It's the way we've always communicated. So that is the tone of the show, really. Like we take whatever petty or significant hardship we're experiencing and we try to turn it into a funny anecdote. That's what we did with the episodes, I think. How did you and Sarah meet and how did the initial idea come to fruition in a sense? I know you were talking about your sister before, but how did you both meet and what happened? We met years ago when I did a, an ABC comedy called Laid and Sarah's husband, Trent O'Donnell, directed me in that. So I met Sarah through Trent. And we were friendly, but we didn't know each other particularly well. You know, they lived most of the time in Sydney. I was based in Melbourne, but I would catch up with them if I went to Sydney and sort of developed a, a nice little friendship. But one day they were coming to see a play that I was in and we had a coffee beforehand. And Sarah mentioned that she'd been thinking of, you know, she really wanted to write something about a mother's group because it was so sort of rich. It was rich territory for comedy. And she'd had a pretty horrendous experience with her own. And I said, oh, you have to do that. I had said to my sister, I want to write something about motherhood, you know, because this is nothing like I've seen on screen, as I, as I said to you before. So we came at it, it was just serendipity. It was serendipity that she mentioned this when we were having a coffee, that it was something that was very close to my heart, that I was at a time in my career where the material that I was being sent and that's not at all, you know, all the great material that was being made in Australia, but the stuff that I was getting in the door for, I wasn't excited about in terms of how it represented women. And I think Laid was one of the first TV series where I went, I know these women, like these are women I know, yes. You know, and I was so excited to work with Marie and Kirsty on that, who wrote that beautiful show, um, because 
finally I saw a friendship that I related to and they were big inspirations for me actually, kind of getting a bit more serious about writing um, because I was very frustrated with what I was reading. So Sarah and I just came together. It was just virtue of timing. Like she just said that out loud. I had been musing (laughs) for some time about doing a similar thing and I ended up saying to her, if you ever need help or if you ever want to just bounce ideas around or anything, I'm here and willing. And she came back to me and went, let's do this. Because there really wasn't anything similar when it came out and there still isn't, I don't think. There's something incredibly unique about it and there was definitely a huge gap in that space talking about motherhood in that fresh, interesting way. Yeah, this was about 2012, I think, and both of us were well aware of that gap and that was good luck for us. We actually sat down and did it and got it to the ABC. We were holding our breaths. We thought definitely someone else will come out with this because it was around the same time that girls came out that we were sitting down writing this and we were quite inspired by that first season of Girls and how raw it was and we were just waiting. We were waiting for someone else (laughs) to beat us to it and alarmingly they didn't. And now, I mean, you might have a different opinion on this, but I I feel like there's been a real proliferation of this content in the world and I'm thrilled by that because I think there are as many stories to tell about this stuff as there are experiences. But back then, certainly from our perspective, there was a real dearth of material on women and a genuine interrogation of the domestic sphere and what I think of as a revolution in a woman's life when she becomes a mother. And what about books at the time? Were you reading any books exploring this subject that did it in a more kind of astute, interesting way than what was going on on the screen? I read a lot, particularly before I had Augie, I was reading lots of bits and pieces and this is shameful, but I can't remember now, eight years later, (laughs) which ones I would, which ones I really focused on. I'm thinking of people like, I don't know, I mean, obviously only recently Sheila Hetty released her book on motherhood, which was a really interesting one. And I don't know if you read Rachel Cusk. I think it was actually quite some time ago that her book a life's work came out. But there wasn't much, was there? There wasn't much in that same style, really, on the page or screen. There wasn't back then. And I remember using, um, I used kind of blogs more as a resource back in the early days. And subsequently, I looked at books. I certainly read Motherhood, Sheila Hedy's, it was a brilliant piece of writing. I read that when I was working on season two. It fed into a, a storyline in season two and really made us want to explore further the Emma character in our story and her choice not to have children and all that stuff and what that brings up in other people or what that brings up in friends who are mothers and parents and and I certainly read around stuff as well. Like I like reading female authors and that it doesn't necessarily have to be about motherhood to be an inspiration for that show, I don't think. I just like reading about women because really the show is about women. I know it's specifically about motherhood, but we really tried to put as much of kind of female perspective, of course, because we're both women, but that's not always what gets through onto our TV screens, but we insisted on a very female perspective across the whole thing. And there's something about the lack of pretension. There's something about the realness that is in there that I think speaks to a lot of us, speaks to men, women, people with kids or without, because it's about being human. Well, that was really important to us, the aesthetic, you know, from the writing to the actual look of the whole thing. It was really important to us that we not shy away from truth any anywhere, you know. That's where the gap was and it still is, I think, on screen. I don't know of any other sets where they would let a woman walk on set without makeup on and that's what I did because I insisted on it. <laughs> you know, (laughs) their lead actress being allowed not to wear makeup. You know, it's we're still seeing shows where women wake up with a full face of makeup and it makes me crazy. It really does. Can you tell me a little bit about your early years? What did you want to do when you first set out work-wise? Look, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a story writer. My first memory of wanting to be something was that. And I feel a great sense of satisfaction that I come back to that. I did go to uni after school and I did an arts law degree and as soon as I graduated, I promptly went to drama school. I needed to give that a crack, like I knew that. I quite enjoyed aspects of the law but I had to give it a go and I can't really imagine going back to the law now. You know, I think if I pivot, it'll be within the industry or kind of 
I don't know, further. But from drama school, I started working in the theatre. When I graduated, I got uh, an offer from the MTC. And, you know, work begets work in this industry, um, if you're lucky. So I went down the theatre path for many years and had the great fortune of working with some brilliant people in Australia. And most of my work was at MTC and Belvoir and Malthouse and STC and the State Theatre of South Australia. So did a lot of that stuff. I was kind of itinerant for quite some time and did bits and pieces of telly and landed in comedy in TV. My CV reads like some sort of personality disorder. On the one side, I nearly all of the theatre I've done uh, has been very dramatic. You know, I've played tragic heroines for most of my career on the stage. And then most of the television, the people know me as funny from TV. And I often go, huh, am I? You know, like, <laughs> I, I just played Hedda Gabler. Like she, she kills herself in the end. Like she's not, she's pretty serious anyway. Um, but how funny that it's the typecast in the different styles of acting. That's quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm very eager. You know, I did a couple of comedies on the stage, but most of it was drama. And um, I've done a couple of, you know, cameos in dramas, but I feel like most of my stuff for screen, all the significant stuff has been um, where I've had a significant role. It's been predominantly comedy and I'm really eager to mix it up. You know, I love both deeply and that's, I pivoted into writing because I felt that there was a lack of veracity in how women were represented on our screen and I do still feel that there's, and it's being redressed now and it's exciting, but I do find our culture quite masculine. And certainly when I came out of drama school, nearly every film was about male criminals or men perpetrating violence against women or just perpetrating violence. What is with that? Yeah. I don't know. And I find it really distressing, actually. So I got to a point in my acting career where I felt like I had to be part of the solution rather than complain, you know, rather than <laughs> sit around with my colleagues and go, why aren't there any stories about women? <laughs> Thank goodness you did. And was that the first bit of writing that you had done or had you been writing for years before that personally? Oh, look, I dabbled. Like I'd done bits and bobs myself. You know, there's a bunch of half written screenplays on my computer. But The Letdown Pilot was the first screenplay I ever completed. And so I feel very lucky that was picked up and I was allowed to have a crack at writing a few more. Very steep learning curve. And, I, you know, there's nothing better than doing for learning. So I feel very lucky that we got to make the pilot into the two series. Between you and Sarah, how was that collaboration process in terms of the practicalities of writing and how you did it? Can you tell us about what happened there? It was a very organic process. So Sarah was in LA for, I think, the whole time we were writing. I think we developed it a little bit while she was still living in Sydney and then she moved to LA and so most of the early work on The Letdown was across time zones. So it was all Skypes and um, trying to coordinate our lives so that we could actually speak to each other at a reasonable hour in both countries. So that was most of... I think the first development phase and um, when we started writing, I wrote a few eps here in Melbourne and then got on a plane and took my family across to America and Sarah and I used a space in LA run by Australians in film and they were incredibly generous with us. So we got a space, kind of a grant where they gave us a residency there where we could write together. And that was lovely because it is our habit to tell each other stories and a lot of the ideas are born of those stories. It was wonderful to be in the room together and something funny had happened in the morning and we'd come in and say, hi, hi, this happened, my kid did this or blah, blah, blah. And one of the other person would go, oh, what if blah, blah did that in, in this storyline? Or, you know, like it, that's how the series evolved. So it was really nice to be in a shared space doing that. But certainly we did work separately as well for both seasons. For people who don't know, do you draft an entire episode or does Sarah draft one and then you show the other person or do you both work on it simultaneously? We did a bit of both actually because neither of us had worked in an official capacity on any other TV show. We worked out our own insane methods. We did try drafting whole episodes and, and we did that 
a couple of times for season one and a couple of times for season two. But at other times we would just take a scene, you know, if we were working on, say, eps five and six, you'd just jump in. We work on a program called Writer Duet so that you can work simultaneously. And we would just kind of take whichever scene we had a strong resonance with or came from a story that belonged to us or our friend. So anything that we had an intimate connection with, we would have a crack at first. I always laugh when we write what draft it is on the front of a script because it's, you know, it's draft 508. It's not the second draft because Sarah and I go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and we're really particular and we both go over everything with a fine-tooth comb again and again and again until we're happy with the joke or we're happy with the scene. You know, it's a back-and-forth process. Even if we have done the first draft of a whole ep, it's still a back-and-forth process about 98 times. You can tell because there's so many layers there in the dialogue, in the subtleties of what's going on, and also the kind of perfectly timed humour that's also really clever. So I think that that's reflected in the strength of that script. Was that actually a process that was really enjoyable or was it difficult sometimes going back and forth with her? Oh, look, some a bit of both again. Like it's always enjoyable when you know, we read something you've written and like Sarah's really, really funny and she will have just tweaked something that just made it heaps funnier and I'd be, you know, virtually high-fiving her. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's also challenging when you get something back and you're like, oh, I liked the joke I wrote or I liked that bit about that. So there's a lot of give and take in the process and compromise is, of course, key to any collaboration. And so sometimes compromise is seamless and sometimes it's challenging, but I think we've always managed because we're both very proud of the stories we were telling, we always managed to navigate that stuff with good humour, I think. Because you always have to give up certain things as well as... Yeah, you do. <laughs> you do. And at times there would be a, all right, I'll give you that if you give me this. You know, like <laughs> there are a couple of those conversations. and um, But, yeah, I think that system worked well for us. Alison, for people that don't know at all how television works, even for other writers who haven't gone into the television or film world at all, but in this case television, can you tell us about how you get a project like this up? After having written the pilot, how did you make it happen? How did you sell it? How did Netflix become involved? Of course. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's the same or if everyone's experiences are different, but um Sarah took the idea to Julian Morrow, who was a friend of hers and a producer, Giant Dwarf, and he really liked the idea and so he got behind it from the very beginning. So then we had Julian kind of as our salesman effectively. He was the one who then forwarded on our pilot to the ABC and thankfully the ABC liked what they read and then they came back to Julian and to us and said, yeah, we want to develop this with you. Um, we were in the rather unusual situation of being put into the comedy showroom uh, series that the ABC made. It was a series of pilot of comedies and it was a curious kind of competition. They wanted viewers to give feedback and based on the feedback, combined with a whole lot of other opinions, I'm sure, internally, they were going to commission series out of that. So our process was a little unusual, I think. So we were lucky enough to get good feedback from our viewers. So thank you, viewers. <laughs> what a relief. <laughs> Sounds petrifying. Oh, it's awful. It's, you know, hard in mouth stuff. It's terrible. So we learned that we got good feedback. We learned that internally the ABC were very happy to go ahead. But then we were told that the only way the ABC was going to be able to do the project was if we got a co-producer, which seems to be the norm now for the ABC because of funding. Then it was sort of Julian's job, I guess, to kind of get interest, international interest. And that's how we got in front of Netflix. There were a few people interested, but we had meetings about that and Sarah and I were pretty clear that we wanted to be at Netflix if that was going to be a possibility because we, you know, of course we all understood the reach and that would be a really good career move and it would be great to get these stories in front of the number of viewers, potential viewers that um, Netflix could reach. Again, we were exceptionally fortunate to get the interest of Netflix. That was at the pilot stage. And because we had this proof of concept, you know, it was a fully, completely made pilot. It wasn't a teaser. It wasn't, you know, uh, anything like that. It was, we had a pilot to show them. And that was a huge asset because I think tonally 
it was still a little bit unusual what we were doing and to just read it on the page, it might have been a bit confronting. I always think in the hands of different actors, comedy can be, you know, a very changeable thing. So we were lucky to have that reference for them to see and go, this is what it is, this is the tone, these are the actors, this is what we're making. And I think they saw the universality of it. Back then, you know, I think they, they, I know that they said that this might be an Australian comedy that can land because of the subject matter and the tone. We were very lucky to get in there before other mum comedies. <laughs> um, Did they take two seasons from that beginning point or was that the first season that they committed to? Just the first season. The first season did very well for them, so they were happy to jump on board for the second. Talking about very well, does that mean that it spoke to American audiences and audiences from other countries as well? Because it's also quite a particular, you know, it's, there's an Australian sense of humour. Yeah, that was a big surprise. I mean, I've had people stop me in America from South Korea <laughs> and tell me that they loved the show. We got a lot of feedback um, from around the world, which has sort of blown our minds. We honestly thought when it was about to land on Netflix, we spoke very, you know, explicitly about how we shouldn't get our hopes up because the likelihood is that this will go under the radar because there's so much material on Netflix or that it will be watched by people, but they won't get our sense of humour, you know. And we were lucky that neither of those things were the case, that it seemed to, I know a lot of people find it too dark and I'm not trying to pretend that everyone loves the show at all. (laughs) I'm sure there are a lot of people who don't find us funny at all, but we were lucky enough I don't know what it is. I think it's because... Do they have mother's groups in America? I don't even know. No, they don't. They do kind of create their own parent groups over there. They've got nothing like we have. Of course they don't because everything, you know, there's no public funding for anything over there. So it's every man for himself, every woman for herself. So in some parts of the cities, there'll be mum groups. And certainly they seem to have a virtual presence. You know, people join groups online, but that's not the same thing, I don't think, to what we have. And I think what we have is an extraordinary initiative and I hope it's maintained because you get to see everyone in their various states of distress or triumph, you know, and you get to, there's a certain bond, I think, that happens that way that can't really happen online. And talking about your role in the show, you are doing so many different things. I mean, in addition to co-creating and writing and producing, you are the main character in the show. How in the world did you do that? How did you juggle all of those different roles? I'm a shell of a human. Let's just start the answer with that. (laughs) Um, But... (laughs) But I'm sort of an obsessive human as well. So I found it quite exhilarating to be part of the entire process. Not kind of. I felt it, I found it extremely exhilarating to be part of all aspects of that production and very rewarding. It was, the hours were enormous. It's been my life. It's been my life, my certainly all of my work life for several years now. And the pace and the time it demanded was enormous, not just in production. But I'm really thrilled that I got to play all those roles. You know, on set, when we were in production, the hours were mental. I'd only get a few hours sleep. I'd be up learning lines and potentially thinking of rewrites or having conversations about we need to change this or we need to, you know, change location or, you know, there was all all that stuff going on at night when I wasn't physically acting. And you rewrote on set sometimes? We did occasionally when there was a something wasn't landing or we knew we'd changed a location or, or a situation for budgetary reasons or for other logistic kind of type reasons. Sarah would handle a lot of that stuff, but I would always jump in as well because she was sort of onset writer in that role during shooting. And there was a bit of improvising as well occasionally, you know, like if we thought on the spot of a funnier gag, we would play with that and just tweak the scripts a bit. So all that was happening, but it was kind of suited my personality in some ways that they'd call cut and I didn't have to sit down and read a book for an hour while we changed location. Was it a relief having someone direct you when you were doing all of those other things? I really did enjoy the space to just be Audrey 
when I was in a scene and kind of surrender and trust that Trent or Amanda or Sarah or, you know, whoever was directing or whoever was behind the split had my back and knew what was working and didn't work. There was very much a liberation in that. But I also enjoyed when people called cut and maybe Sophie, our costume designer, would come up and go, Al, do you like this outfit for blah, 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 you know? <laughs> and I'd go, oh, yes, let me say that. Oh, okay. Sometimes I would sort of almost be, my brain would be bursting. But other times it was just a wild, exciting ride to be part of it all. And, you know, working so closely with people who are exceptional at what they do. And, you know, I think we were really lucky to be surrounded by the crew and the team that we were surrounded by. And it's a joy when you're working with great people to collaborate. Were you involved in choosing the other actors? Because it's a really fabulous cast and that's also a real strength of the show. It is a fabulous cast. I love our cast. Um, We were absolutely permitted to... um, suggest people and get people in for auditions and, you know, we were a big part of that. In the early stages, when it was just a pilot, we certainly lent on friends like Sasha and, you know, Sasha Haller and Leon Ford and, of course, I dragged my partner Johnny Leary into it as well and Patrick Brammel and these are old mates of ours and <laughs> and they didn't have a choice is what I'm trying to say. Uh, so <laughs> How was it working with your partner? Uh, Oh, look, it was totally fine. It was kind of funny that we never really crossed paths and that was pretty much by design because I knew that my child needed a parent at some point, you know, in this (laughs) process. And so one of us had to be there to, you know, look after our kid. So, yeah, we didn't really, we never had scenes together. I think there was, we maybe had two scenes together. So it was totally fine. And Johnny was so deeply immersed in it. You know, he'd been through the highs and the lows of writing it and I'd bounced many a joke off him and you know he's a very funny man himself so I often say to him is this funny or is that funnier which is funnier you know when you're kind of in that stressful writing mode and you've lost all perspective he was well involved just as my support at home so it was kind of nice to have him on set as well and be part of the team. It's such a rare thing to actually successfully negotiate things like childcare between two people who are working and whose jobs are equally important. I don't know how you do it. It's really, I'm, I'm in awe. <laughs> and I think a lot of other women would be as well. Yeah. And I, look, I'm not in awe of myself. I'm just in awe of the fact that it seems very rare uh, still for women to have the opportunity that I've had, which is to rely on a partner, a male partner, to step back from his own career while mine was going in a fairly intense direction. He gave up work, which always has consequences in our industry, you know, you start saying no and eventually people stop asking. So there were big risks. He gave up a lot of joy because he's a real theatre animal and he's a, you know, a real ensemble player, like he loves being around fellow actors and, um, you know, he was turning down theatre jobs and to be a stay-at-home dad, which we all know is a testing <laughs> a job uh, for all any parent, you know. Um, so there were a lot of sacrifices made there. And he's a very rare artist in this world where um, work is scarce, that he's not someone who resents others, their jobs, which I have always been very grateful for. It's not like we haven't had our challenges. Of course we do. And it's been stressful and it's been, I've felt very guilty and my work has taken up so much space and taken me away from the two of them. Mentally not being able to be present because I'm constantly working. And you were in LA before the pandemic, weren't you? Yes, we were. Uh, We scurried home when it all started getting a bit crazy. So we packed up. We'd been there for a year And we'd been coming and going for a few years because of me working with Sarah over there and also uh, Johnny actually sold a pilot years ago to CBS. We'd gone over initially to LA for his work and then it started to be about mine and Sarah's work. But we'd made the move last year and I never imagined I would move to America, I should say that. I never thought that was my destiny. But I appreciate that what I do, what I write or how I want to write, the aesthetic of my writing is still quite niche And niche in Australia is so niche (laughs) and that it's a little bit bigger in America. I know that not many people, as I said before, want an aesthetic that's 
100% truth or, or as close to the truth as you can put on telly with how people look and how people are. And I know that's not an aesthetic people grab in our commercial world, but it's something I'm quite committed to. How has it been in LA? Look, it was weird. Um, I love LA and I hate it. I met some excellent humans over there and um, some really brilliant people who work in our industry and outside of it. But I do find it really opaque. I find the interactions in our industry, say you go and have a meeting, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but when you have a meeting in America, everyone loves you and everyone wants to work with you. And it's really hard to know what's real over there because 99% of those conversations come to naught. I found it quite destabilising, to be honest, because you couldn't have frank conversations. There's a coded quality to the conversations there and I still don't know the codes. I wasn't um, naive enough to believe all of those conversations and all of the hyperbole. When you come from a culture like ours where most meetings I'd have here, I mean, I don't even have many meetings here. That's not even part of our culture, but in our industry, but just the chats, just the informal chats that I have here, most people go, oh, that's a great idea. Never, will never happen. Will never happen. You know, we're such pessimists here because we know how limited and scarce our resources are. So when you're working from that base and you go to the US and everyone's saying the opposite, and no one necessarily means it. And it's just a cultural thing. I'm not saying it's right or wrong what they do. It is a cultural thing. I did enjoy that people were allowed to be proud of work over there. I enjoyed that people were allowed to be ambitious in their work. The parameters are larger over there. Are you going to go back to LA afterwards, after the pandemic? I honestly don't know. So when I say it was, I love it and I hate it, there were good experiences and there were not so good experiences. But Sarah and I did sell an idea to FX. So we are currently working on that. So that's connecting me still to America. And I've just been writing another thing for America. So I am kind of present there in a way. And that's actually how I'd love to function. I'd love to be here in Australia working and acting and writing for America when the opportunities arise, that would be my ideal because I did miss, you know what I missed? I missed really boring things like our infrastructure. I missed our medical system and there's no safety nets over there and it's a horrible thing to have to think about how serious your child's ailment or, you know, is before you jump in the car and run to emergency. You know, like it's that's a very different way of being. We're so lucky here. You know, I think we both got to a point, certainly with the pandemic, we very quickly reached the point of going, what the heck are we doing here where we have no health insurance? This is insane. We need to get back to our country where there are those safety nets in place and we can go to the doctor without going bankrupt. Can you tell us a little bit about those projects that you're working on? Sure, yes. Um, Insane project that I've just been working on, I just handed in my last script, which is a nice feeling, is an interactive rom-com. And I never thought I'd say that out loud, that I was working on an interactive rom-com. I'm a complete (laughs) Luddite. I have no relationship to gaming. I was never one of those kids who was interested in it. What is that? Is it to do with gaming? I have absolutely no idea. How is it interactive? That's how I came to the job too, um, with (laughs) with that level of knowledge that you have. Um, It is a hybrid. It's a hybrid of narrative television and gaming. So it's a choose your own adventure TV show. That's the easiest way to kind of describe it. So as you're watching, you get little prompts that come up on the screen and it's really designed for the youth, the young people on their phones, you know. It's designed for them to just watch on their phone, really, and to kind of tap on whichever choice they want the character to make. And then the story goes in that direction. You follow that branch. Look, it took me quite a while and a serious amount of concentration to get my head around writing for coders. You know, like we kind of, I was writing for computer coders, not, not, I wasn't writing linear narrative. So every branch sort of had a number code to it and you'd keep adding to that branch and that number would keep growing and, like you know, it was kind of insane, insane way of writing a script. I, um, very steep learning curve. Me and my colleagues have written mountains of comic banter uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> for, you know, what will play out as maybe a 20-minute app, but you write pages and pages because there are so many options. So that's been a really interesting exercise, actually. The thing that I've enjoyed about the process is 
getting faster just because of the sheer volume we needed to write. And we didn't have a lot of time. We had less time than I would normally have to write a a linear script, a linear half hour, but I was writing three times the material. I think I've become quicker. I switched off that second guessing part of my brain a bit more readily, which was a real kind of benefit of working on a project like that. Is it set in America? It is set in America, yeah. And my two writing colleagues are, are American, which is a godsend because they correct all of my Australianisms. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew we speak an entirely different language, apparently. And what's that called? Has it got a title? That's called First 30, and I'm working on that with Merman. And Merman is uh, the production company. That's Sharon Horgan's production company. So you might know Sharon Horgan from Catastrophe, among other things. Yeah, I'm working for Sharon and her producers on that project. And Sharon's actually who I'm working with, Sarah and I are working with on the FX project as well. When is the interactive rom-com coming out? (laughs) I hope it comes out. Look, it's just, I don't even know if I'm supposed to be talking about it, but um, it's fun. (laughs) It's a really fun rom-com. It made me really want to write a rom-com film, actually, and just write one story and not 780 branches of a story. <laughs> oh, it's so interesting. I'm really looking forward to seeing what that's like and especially consuming it. Did you say that it's mainly on the phone that will people will be watching it? I expect so. I mean, I'm sure there will be ways. You know, um, Black Mirror brought out an interactive episode. It came out separately to the seasons. So certainly the streamers, what I've been told is the streamers are looking to do more of that kind of thing. So I don't know where this will land. I hope it lands somewhere interesting where people can access it because we've, you know, we've put a lot of energy into it. It might just be like many, many ideas that just you write them and then they they just sit in a drawer. Uh, We'll see. (laughs) Is that the first writing project that you've done without Sarah, incidentally? Because I know you guys have been an absolutely fabulous creative team throughout various projects. I've been working with Wooden Horse on a development as well with other writers. I'm developing my own drama series with other writers as well. Can you tell us a bit about that? I can tell you about that one because that's been supported by Screen Australia uh, to the point that it's at now. It's an adaptation of Melanie Chang's book of short stories called Australia Day. Oh, wonderful. I think Melanie's work is exceptional and um, gives an incredibly nuanced sort of detailed insight into a a really beautiful variety of human beings. And so I fell in love with her short stories years ago and my mother insisted I read them because she she said, this would make a great TV series, Alison. And I thoroughly agree. Um, <laughs> so me and, and Nikki Aiken and um, a few other wonderful writers got together with our excellent producers from Rev Lover and had a workshop last year. And now we're going to market with that idea and I, I really hope it lands somewhere because she writes about the real Australia. I think I really responded to the truth in her work. It's something that I'm always going to be excited by. The characters in her short stories and also her newer novel, Room for a Stranger, are people we don't get to see on telly and people who are deeply fascinating and um, I really want to put those stories on the screen. So fingers crossed. Is it at the pilot stage? I've just finished. I've written the Bible. So kind of plotted out the series but no, I haven't actually written the scripts yet. That would be the next stage of it. But I'm quite excited. It's really hard to press stop when you're in the middle of that stuff, you know. I Once I'd plotted out the series, I because I kind of play out the series as an actor, you know, like I sort of live it while I'm writing it and I just want to write it. <laughs> I just want to write this series now, having um, having lived with these characters for quite a while. But we'll see. So that's in the hands of our producers at RevLover. So Martha Coleman is my producer there and Lauren Edwards and there. So they'll be going to market with that and I will probably jump in and help where needed if people want to talk to me about what I'm thinking. But, yeah, the next stage is very much going and trying to get market interest before we go for more development funding from the funding bodies. And what about the project with Sarah that you're working on as well? So I was on a meeting with Sarah just before you and I uh, started chatting. Uh, We're at pilot stage there. So we're working with Sharon and her production team and also our executives at FX, our network execs at FX. And that's a really interesting process and quite different to the processes that I've gone through with any other projects. It's very protracted. It's funny how America has a lot of resources and makes decisions seemingly quickly, 
but then they can spend a lot of time on process. They're not in a hurry. I feel like in Australia, there's never enough time for process. There's not enough money to support processes. But uh, in America, they can really draw things out. (laughs) And that can be a good thing. But we've been working on this for a couple of years from when we conceived it. Then we pitched it to producers in LA. And then after we decided to go with Merman as our producers, then we developed the pitch even more and more and more and more and more. And then we started pitching to networks and then FX bought it. And, you know, then we've kind of been through this fairly rigorous process of refining an outline, a pilot outline, and that goes on with all the producers giving notes and that sort of thing and us doing many drafts of that. And then FX has to approve that. And then, you know, like it's a really... um, and then they give notes and we redo it all. You know, like it's a, it's quite a process. So we submitted our, we delivered our first draft slash, you know, 40th draft to FX recently. And now they've come back with notes and we're embarking on the second draft of our first draft. Are you allowed to talk about it? I think I can. I mean, FX doesn't announce their developments as opposed to other networks over there. It's a relationship comedy, actually, with a little bit of an academic bent. And I think it's quite um, pertinent right now as we're all in lockdown and, and really having to confront our patterns. Oh. It's a series? It is a series, yes. So there's multiple projects that you're working on, a lot of work. It's not <laughs> to keep that door shut for some of the time. Yeah. yeah. And what about reading? Have you been reading a lot while you've been working on these different projects or what has been your reading life like over these years? It ebbs and flows. I went through a long period of not picking up fiction. When I was in the theatre all the time, I loved my theatre life. I got to work a lot and I'm very grateful for that. But I did find during that period of my life I did not want to read fiction. I was living it. I was living it (laughs) eight times a week on stage. I was going into that same space, I think, that you inhabit when you're reading a beautiful novel. I was very much engaged with the imaginative world. So I was sort of obsessed with nonfiction, really, and periodicals, and you know, like reading the monthly or reading political stuff, or, but I didn't go near fiction. And it's been a very joyful return, I must say. I would say the last 12 months, I haven't gone to bed without reading a couple of chapters of a book. It's been a long time since I've done that. And I have delighted in returning to fiction, but I feel like, I don't know. And it's bizarre because I am still engaged in that imaginative space constantly with my writing, but I've been better at creating boundaries or something, I think, in recent times. And I've been able to compartmentalize my own work and find great inspiration in just reading other writers. It's been a lovely luxury to return to beautiful fiction. What have you been loving? Um, I'm currently reading The Yield which is stunning and very deserving of its recent uh, award. Girl, Woman, Other has been a big highlight for me by Bernadine Evaristo. Um, What else have I read lately? Boy Swallows Universe was such beautiful storytelling. I just read The Dictionary of Lost Words. Um, Oh, you just read it. How wonderful. Yeah, I just read it. Great story. Like just so exciting that she delved into that world. Um, Fun fact, I did work for Butterworth's Legal Dictionary when I was at law school. It was close to my heart that uh, it was about lexicography. Um, I actually reckon that that's where I would have stayed for a while had I not gone to drama school. I really enjoyed it like a weird word nerd. I really enjoyed editing and coming up with legal definitions. You know, like it was, yeah, it was a curious job, not one that people think about often. Did they have any strange quirks, you know, like the premise of the Dictionary of Lost Words about words that were acceptable and those that weren't? Was there a similar thing with that legal dictionary? Not to that extent. I feel naive saying it, but I've never thought about that. I've never thought how class-centric and gender-centric our language, even our language has been. Amazing, thought-provoking book. But no, they were all from a legal background and so there's a level of pedantry there which I both admire and laugh at uh, (laughs) because it's also in me. So um, I'm well aware of how annoying I can be. But But it's interesting in terms of your attention to language and those, you know, that kind of particular close eye on the nuances really. Yeah. And I do feel like that's why, you know, in my theatre career, I've enjoyed working on 
amazing plays, some amazing classics and also some amazing contemporary offerings from different playwrights around the world. And What were some of the most memorable productions? Certainly David Harrow as Blackbird, which I think is a, a contemporary classic, one of the great contemporary tragedies. I, you know, I got to do Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which is just a stunning play. I've done a couple of Shakespeare's. So words <laughs> have been a big part of my life. And I do think there is more time given to playwriting, even though there's no money in that world. There is certainly time, whereas in TV land, things can happen. You can be asked to write scripts quite quickly, and I do think that can lead to, I don't want to be unfair and say a lack of rigour. I think writers are are generally really rigorous, but I do find some of the depth of some plays very satisfying because you're allowed to play in motif and theme and literary illusions and that kind of world. And in TV, sometimes people aren't interested in you writing that stuff (laughs) into screenplays. One last question I do have is, is there going to be a third season of The Letdown? Look, that's a tricky one. We are... We love our characters. We love making this show. It's been an incredibly rewarding experience, but there is a but. The door is just ajar right now. It's not closed, but it's neither is it wide open. The ABC wanted us to make a third and Netflix was certainly open to us going back to them and talking about a third. But Sarah and I feel like we told a lot of stories in those first two seasons And as I've indicated earlier in this chat, it takes up an enormous amount of our lives. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that opportunity for something to absorb me in the way that it did. But we're also eager to write about other things. And so we may come back to it. I don't know, but we're both mums who spent the last eight years researching, reading, writing, acting, all, you know, like everything in my life was about motherhood. And same with Sarah, you know, when we weren't writing our screenplays, we were with our kids. There's not a lot of space in between that stuff. So I think we just need a little breather to think about other people's stories and we may come back to it. But also, as I said before, there's been a real proliferation of this material and I'm really pleased we contributed to these stories in the way that we have. But maybe we don't need to keep going. Maybe it's someone else's go. We'll see. Alison, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been such a pleasure and I really look forward to whatever we are going to see on the screen or elsewhere on the phone in the future. Thank you.